This is the On The Radar Show with your host Radar as he highlights the sports topic of the week and while also diving into pop culture. Yes, welcome to the On The Radar Show with your host Radar, that's me, for episode number nine. As always, I'll talk about local sports, national sports, and pop culture as well. And since we do live in the city of Chicago, the most important thing in, this, in, in most cities is football and the Bears. Man, oh man, eliminated from the playoffs after losing to division rival Packer, and then, wow, they scored zero points in the first half again. A problem they've had all year, and they only scored a field goal. They had only 234 yards of total offense, 57 rushing yards for the rushing leader, and 53 receiving yards for the receiving leader. Now, that's embarrassing. Yeah, the Chiefs are a good team. But that's because they have an amazing offense. The Chiefs' defense has always been ranked in the middle, so there's no reason why the Bears shouldn't have been able to do anything. Run the ball. We have Allen Robinson, and we have Patterson. We have Anthony Miller, Trico. We got enough options to throw the ball to, and Montgomery's been good enough running back this year that it shouldn't matter who's the defense, especially if it's the middle of the pack and it's not a top-10 defense. But again, what is wrong with the Bears? They cannot seem to get anything going offensively. Now, the best course of action will be signing a quarterback, a Teddy Bridgewater, Andy Dalton, or Ryan Fitzpatrick. Maybe somebody who can handle a high-concept offense that Nagy wants to run and take advantage of all the weapons and go through all the, you know, all the progression. If the first guy's not open, you go to the second or third guy. Don't just throw it to one guy only every time and force it in there. Maybe they'll have a higher completion percentage. See somebody, and let's say that guy struggles for two games. Well, just go back to Drabisky for another two games, and so on and so on, and find out if if the other quarterback that we signed struggles in this offense, then it's on Nagy and you fire the coach, and it's not Drabisky's fault because you only sign somebody to like a one-year deal, and you can always go back to him, as I said, go back and forth. Now, if a quarterback does well in the system next year, then you have your answer. Drabisky's not your quarterback. Or Nagy should just use him as a guy who rolls out, uses his legs, make more plays that take advantage of his strength. That's what the Bills do. The Bills do everything possible to take advantage of Josh Allen's running ability. Okay, They don't just make him throw the ball 60 times a game and try to throw it deep down the field, even if he has a good arm. They're, they're taking advantage of the fact that he can run for first down, he can extend plays using his legs, get out of the pocket. That's what the Bears should be doing. Now, when it comes to football, the Patriots beat the Bills 24-17. Very close game was tied for most of it. That essentially means the Patriots are in the driver's seat, but the Bills are still a top wildcard team. Yes, the Titans lost, but the Texans won, so the Texans are most likely going to win that division, and the Titans themselves are probably going to be a wildcard spot, but it can go either way. But either either way, the Texans, the Titans, and the Bills, they're not winning, they're not winning against the top teams in the AFC. The Chiefs and the Patriots and the Ravens, they're going to win their games in one, after the you know, they're off their buys. Now, the Seahawks losing 27-13 to the Cardinals, it happens to your division rival. But why didn't they have a much better game? It was just horrible. They had already lost Penny. Now they lost Prosite and Carson, and they signed Marshawn Lynch, who hasn't played all season, and that's their strength. Now, they went from being a one seed, having home field advantage, to the 49ers and the Saints, and the Packers having the top three season chances for a bye week. And nobody wants to go to Green Bay in the winter. Nobody wants to go to the Saints in their dome, and nobody wants to face the 49ers at home. And that will help these teams who has home field advantage. Now, the, the, the Cowboys, they lost the Eagles. So the Eagles are in the driver's seat. But even if the Eagles, 
even if the, the Eagles are hosting a wild, uh, wild card game, I don't have confidence in them beating other teams. Now, if they're facing the Vikings or they're facing the Seahawks, they, they have a chance. But the Seahawks are a better team and they're better coached. And the Vikings are a better team and better coached than the Eagles are or Dallas, depending on who wins the division in the end. But it's coming down to the Saints, the Packers, and the 49ers at the end. Now, the, the Steelers, they tried their best this year after Ben Roethlisberger got hurt, missed most of the year. They traded one of their backups, then they used another backup, and they're on the fourth guy. And Juju Smith-Schuster's been over most of the year. James Conner's been hurt for most of the year. That They lost to the Jets 16-10. That's embarrassing. You had a chance to beat the Titans out for the second wildcard spot, and you lose to the Jets out of all teams, who have had a horrible year. Now, speaking of horrible years, Miami and the Bengals have been fighting all year for number one seed. The Bengals only won one game, and Miami's won some games because – they have good coaching, Fitzpatrick, and the offense has done put up a good amount of points, and they've won some games here and there. And in this game, the Bengals were down early, and Andy Dalton drove his team down the field when they were down by two touchdowns to be by one score. Then they pulled off an offside kick, which usually doesn't happen. Dalton drove them down the field again to tie the game. They went to overtime, they lost, because the Bengals really don't want to win. They want to secure that number one seed for the, for the draft lottery. Tell me now, draft lottery for the draft and the number one pick, and the and this Miami, they're gonna have a good pick no matter what because two is hurt, so they're not checking for him, and they have enough assets. They got draft picks and all these other players that the team will be on the rise. The Bengals, we have no where they're going because they were horrible in all ends of the game. Mixon was bad for most of the year. AJ Green missed most of the year. The receivers had some issues, you know. So their defense is not as good as it used to be, and Dalton's gonna be a free agent. So I don't know really what the direction of the Bengals are going. But for the Bengals, even though they won one game, that's probably the most exciting game of the year. Because how many times do you score a touchdown, kick an, onside, kick an onside kick, and actually succeed, and then score another touchdown to tie the game and to go overtime? That was probably the most exciting game, despite the fact that they won a game. Now, that was football. Now, baseball hot stuff is heating up. Some of the biggest moves were the Blue Jays signed Hinjin Ryu to a four-year deal, $80 million, and signed Travis Shaw. Now, I like the Ryu move because they already signed Tanner Rourke and traded for Chase Anderson. So they're trying to get themselves veterans who, if healthy, can pitch 200 innings and make them not a horrible 100-loss team. Now, them signing Travis Shaw is basically up replacing Justin Smoke. They have Guerrero at third base, Pichette at shortstop, and Biggio second base. And that doesn't include Guilherme Scorial Jr. and Richard Arena and Brandon Jury, all other infielders. Now, they're saying Gurriel's going to play the outfield, but they got Teoscar Nerez, and they got Derek Fisher, and they got Randall Gritchick. They got all, and they got Pomp, they had Pompey, and they got Alford. They got all these outfielders, and Gritchick expects to play right field. So you're not going to play Gurriel in center. And then they have loudest, then they have, they have Rowdy Telez as a first base DH. Why did they need to get Shaw? They're not the team that needed a corner bat or a DH. It's just replacing Smoke and making it a, a lot trickier picture. But Ryu will be good for them if he's their number one guy until their young guys are ready. The Diamondbacks signed Cole Calhoun to a two-year deal, and that's a good thing. Adam Jones went overseas. Souza was hurt, and they cut him. And they don't have a right fielder. They have Dave Peralta, who has played right field, but Cole Calhoun will fit nicely on that team. Getting Baumgartner, nobody thought they'd get that. But Calhoun was a great move because they had a hole in right field. The Royals did not have a hole at third base, but they went out and signed Mikhail Franco, who I mentioned before in my baseball videos that – He's inconsistent. He strikes out too much. 
you had Hunter Dozier who had a great year offensively and defensively at third base where he said most of his games. If you're going to move him and Whit Merrifield to both play the outfield, it's a disaster. You should have just not signed Franco. You should have signed a better outfielder or center fielder, something like that. Angel signing Julio Tehran, good idea. It's not Bumgarner and it's not Zach Wheeler and it's not Garrett Cole, but hey, you got yourself Tehran. Hopefully you change the scenery to an inning. Good move. Mets signed Dylan Patances. If he's healthy and familiar rebounds and Diaz rebounds and they have Justin Wilson, better bullpen. The Mets need a reliever. Indians need a Cesar Hernandez because they've traded away Eric Gonzalez and Yanni Diaz the past couple of years. And with Kipnis not being healthy and being a free agent, they needed a second baseman who just fits the lineup. He could bat second, he could bat eight. Just need somebody to fit in. Miami, I'm glad they signed Cervelli because they needed a veteran on that team. That's why they got VR and Aguilar. They're just building pieces. They could always unload him. Now, the Tigers signed Scope and Crone basically away from the Twins. If you're going to only hit 20-something home runs a year, Crone, when you can hit 30 to 40, the Twins like, eh, we don't need to pay you all that money. Scope, penciling for 20-plus, and he was one of the younger players in the market, especially at second base. So the Tigers at least can say we're not tanking. We have a right side of the infield of major leaguers, and they can always flip them. Now, Houston re-signed Martin Maldonado because they shouldn't have let him go in the first place last offseason, so they had to go trade for him again. That's what they needed. Now, Ian Kinsler, he retired. He was injured, missed most of the year, wasn't that great. He's one of those very good players. Now he's finishing under 2,000 hits. I felt if he played till he was 42, not 42, but at least 40 years old, even as a backup, he'd get to 2,500. You can get to 22 to 2,300 hits. Injuries really affected him, but he was a great player for a very long period of time. And the Cubs signed Ryan Tapera. When healthy, he was a very good setup man in Toronto to Ken Giles. And when Ken Giles was missing time, Good enough closure. The Cubs just needed a guy who can slide in in the 7th or 8th inning rule because Strope and Chiswick are gone, and you cannot rely on Morrow to set up Craig uh, Craig Kimbrell. So that was a good idea there. Now, the White Sox, on their hand, everybody was, like, saying, what are they going to do? They signed Grandal. Last time on the podcast, they brought back Nicky Delamonico and Ross Deltweiler, and they just signed Chester Cuthbert to, Chester Cuthbert to a minor deal. Guys like, oh, Ma, these are going to help us. They went out to get Gio Gonzalez. That's great. Sox had him twice. He never pitched a game for us. We let him go. They could have signed him last offseason. They finally signed pitchers who played in 28-19. Not guys who pitched in 2018, 2016, 17. Gio Gonzalez, he'll fit in the fourth or fifth spot. Said if Cesar Lopez struggle, at some point, you'll have Michael Kopech and Rodon to pitch in the fifth spot. Now, you're like, well, who's going to pitch in between Giolito and Cesar Lopez, or whatever, how you line it up? Well, they went aside Dallas Keiko to a three-year, $55.5 million deal. Sox finally signed the pitcher that they've needed. He's not throwing, he's never thrown a hundred. He just gets he pitches the contact. He's got a lot of ground balls. He's a veteran presence where he helped out the young pitchers in Houston and he that will help out the young pitchers, Giolito, because he struggled in the second half. Lopez had an on and off year and Cease was struggling. That if you have Giolito as the ace because he's your guy, Keiko slides into the two spot, eats up all those innings and pitches well for you and you win more games because he's pitching deep into games and you got the potential of Cease, Kopech, and, and and Lopez to fill out the third and fourth spot and you got Gio Gonzalez. Sox rotation is something to be afraid of. The Sox, most of the times the Sox have been a playoff team in the last like 30, 40 years. It's because they had strong pitching staff. Yes, they've had Carlton Fisk and Frank Thomas and Jim Tomei and Paul Canerco and Jermaine Dye, Carlos Quinton. Had done. They've had boppers. They've had a good hitter. But what makes the Sox playoff team is usually because they have that good pitching staff and they have a good bullpen. The Sox still need to sign a relief pitcher or two because outside of Colomay, I don't trust Kelvin Herrera 
or anybody in this bullpen that's on the Major League roster. Now, they did just sign over the Xmas time, Edwin Encarnacion into a one-year deal with the option second year. Now, what that does, it cuts into James McCann's playing time. When the best thing I want James McCann to do is to actually catch, play catcher. I wanted him to play catcher three to four times a week, and Gradal did the, caught three or four times a week, and then Gradal DH'd or played first base. I also wanted to, in that DH rotation, have Eloy DH maybe once or twice a week, and you play a guy like Leori Garcia in left field because you went and got Mazzara. You then DH a break one or two days a day. I'm getting Edwin Carcione, who can in his sleep hit 30 and 100. It's going to be, you're really not going to need McCann because you want Grandal, who's good defensively, to catch every day, and you want Abreu and Eloy's bat in the lineup. So there's, I didn't really think that we were going to DH McCann. I thought he was just going to be a guy who plays three to four days a week only at catcher. But with Edwin Carcione, the Sox will have a lineup that hopefully is Robert when he comes up. Tim Anderson second, because I don't want to see Makata ever batting one or two. I want Makata third, because he's the best hitter. Then Abreu back cleanup, because he drives in 100. Then, because you went and got Edwin Encarnacion, I want to bat fifth. Then you can go bat Eloy sixth, and you can bat Grindal seventh, Nomar Mazar eighth, and when Nick Magical comes up batting ninth in this stack lineup, ooh-wee, and that lineup will be great, and the, bolt, and the, and the rotation will finally be good. Oh, I'm happy the White Sox finally did that, because... The Indians sold Kluber off. People are still trying to take Lindor and Clevenger and other guys from them. That And Brad Hand as well. So the, there's not a lot. The Indians should fans be excited for this year. And the Twins have always been that team, when they, especially under Paul Molitor when he was there. Made the playoffs one year. Then didn't for a year or two. Then they made the playoffs again. I think they only made the playoffs a couple of times under Molitor. So there's no guarantee that they're going to be consistent year in and year out. Because even when they win a division, they always got to face the Yankees and they lose in the first round. So there's a chance the Sox could win a division. But also, I feel like the Sox are way better than the A's or the Rays. But you never can count out the Rays. So I'll just say at least they're better than the A's and the Indians. Now one thing that's happening is they already announced the Veterans Committee. And I talked about it last week. Ted Simmons got in, Marvin Miller got in, and I thought guys like Dave Parker and Tommy John should have got in. Now, when it comes to the regular ballot, I think that because Larry Walker's last year, he should be able to get in. It, it makes no sense. His war is 72.7. That's better than at least a half a dozen Hall of Fame outfielders like Tony Gwynn, like Andre Dawson, and Vladimir Guerrero, and Tim Raines. Yes, he only got 2,100 hits, and he's got 1,383 RBIs, and but he's a lifetime 300 hitter. He's won MVP, seven-time Gold Glove winner, five-time All-Star, three-time batting title, three-time Silver Slugger. He has 230 stolen bases. He scored 1,300 runs. He has, you know, I mean, he, I mean, he has 1,311 RBIs, I meant to say, and 383 home runs. And he's got 471 stolen base. I mean, doubles, and 913 walks. When you walk 900 times, you get 470 doubles, and you steal 200-plus stolen bases, have 1,300 RBIs, score 1,300 runs, have 2,100 hits, hit 380-plus home runs, and he has three lifetime 313 average. That's pretty good. Now, as I told you, his war is better than Gwyn, Reigns, Dawson, Winfield, Vlad. Okay? It's, are you kidding me? And with his, with some of his numbers here, guys with 300 home runs, 200 stolen bases, and an OPS over 950, top 100, there are only three people that are better than him, and that's Bonds and Willie Mays. That's pretty darn good. And then his tr- you know, tr- slash line of 313, 400, and 565 is 
it's only Ruth Fox, Ted Williams, you know, Lou Gehrig, Hank Greenberg, and Roger Hornspeed that are better than him of his slash line, a lifetime average, fighting average, slugging, and on-base percentage. So if he's in the same class as the elites like Ruth and Fox and Ted Williams and Lou Gehrig and Hank Greenberg and Roger Hornsby, and he's in the class with Barry Bonds, and everybody says Barry Bonds is the greatest thing ever since sliced bread, and Willie Mays, and his, his better career war if you're going to do advanced statistics over Reigns and Dawson, Dave Winfield, Vladimir Guerrero, and Tony Gwynn. Most of those people, wars are between 69 and 59, and they're in the Hall of Fame. So if you got the advanced metrics of his wars higher than these outfielders, He's in the same list of Bonds and Mays and the same list as Babe Ruth and Hank, you know, and uh, Hank Greenberg, Lou Gehrig, Ted Williams, Jimmy Fox, Roger Hornsby. That's amazing. How many times did he win all these gold gloves? He won a bunch of gold gloves, batting titles, and silver sluggers, and was an MVP. And now you're going to say, oh, no, he played in Colorado. Oh, he's not a Hall of Famer because these numbers are inflated. By the way, his road OPS is greater than Willie Stargell. Ken Griffey Jr., Reggie Jackson, Alana Cepeda, Tony Gwynn, George Brett, Clemente, to name some, and K Al Kali. Like, if his road OPS is A65 and that's better than one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who are already in the Hall of Fame, and you're comparing guys who play, who are in the Hall of Fame, that's pretty good. And his road slash is better than most people as well. He's basically in the same class is 18 guys who are in the Hall of Fame are better. So he's either around the same or better for his career road slashes. So if his OPS and his batting average, slugging, and on-base percentage is similar to 18 players, most are in the Hall of Fame that are either his stats or his, then he, then that's pretty good. I don't understand how people don't think Larry Walker's Hall of Famer when his statistics are very easy to say. That How can you fault a guy for playing for Colorado? When I just told you his road OPS and his road slash line is better than guys who are in the Hall of Fame or similar to guys, his regular career slash line is only with one, two, three, four, five, six Hall of Famers. Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Luke Garrick. Like, those are three of the biggest people you ever heard of. And if he's in the same class for Bonds and May, saying that how many people ever have this many home runs, this many stolen bases, and this high OPS of all time, a top 100? Wow. And then if you're doing advanced metrics and he's better than one, two, three, four, five, at least five other Hall of Famers at least who are in the Hall of Fame, then he's a better – I got wins above replacement, which is advanced statistic. I got career slash line. That's just regular statistics. And then I got the Colorado argument of road OPS and road slash being better. So you can't take the Colorado argument. You can't take, oh, he doesn't have 500 or 3,000. Lifetime. Do you know how many guys in the Hall of Fame are lifetime? There's just way too many. He has so many doubles. He took so many darn walks. And 230 stolen bases is pretty good. If Barry Bonds is this great player and Willie Mays is this great player and Larry Walker's on the same page in the same breath, how is that possible? Now, Kurt Schilling, another guy. How many people are in the Hall of Fame that have at least 3,000 strikeouts? Pretty much everybody except for Roger Clemens, and we all know he took steroids. The only other people are for Verlander and Sabathia, one who just retired and one still playing. His ERA is in the threes. He's got 216 wins, 140 losses, but you could account that to he played in Baltimore and Philadelphia, and they weren't so great in those years. And people are winning Cy Youngs, winning 12, 13, even 11 games. So you can't be faulting him that his team was horrible and doesn't have that many wins.
there are 14 guys in the Hall of Fame who have who have less wins than him. So if he's can't be in the Hall of Fame because he doesn't have that round 300 number, at least 250, and there are 14 guys with less wins, and you can say, oh, they played in the past, so they didn't get up there, then that's bullcrap. In the playoffs, there's not many, many better pitchers besides Mariano Rivera, and that's as a reliever. He was 11-2 with a 223 ERA, man. He made six all-star teams. He won three World Series. He's one of the most winning pitchers ever. He won a World Series MVP and an NLCS MVP, so he got it done when it was most. He also has the highest strikeout walkout rate for of any pitcher who's not in the Hall of Fame. He's the third most 300 strikeout seasons. So if he's striking out 300 people a season, he's got the third most, and you would think Nolan Ryan is one of those guys. And, he's the, and he led the league in wins twice. He led the National League in strikeouts. Like, I'm giving you leading the league in strikeouts wins, third most career 300 strikeout seasons, highest strikeout to walk ratio, only guy with 3,000 hits who's not in the Hall of Fame that is 3,000 strikeouts who's not in the Hall of Fame that isn't a steroid user. And he's got this amazing 11-2 record of the 223 array, wins a World Series MVP, NLS, NLCS MVP, and he has more wins than 14 guys already in the Hall of Fame. And you just add the All-Stars, the World Series, the, the career war of 79.5, which is better than a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame. And he's got 3,000 strikeouts. He is 3,100. He doesn't have just 3,000, he has 3,100. That's where I don't understand how you can hold him out of the Hall of Fame just because you don't like his tweets and the things he says. We all hate the things that certain politicians say, but we still vote for them anyway. Now, every week I did NBC and I did ABC. I mean, and CBS before. Now, one thing I want to say ABC is you try to say you're the one-hour drama station. Well, you've had so many half-hour sitcoms, at least in the last 10, 15 years, that I can remember. That outside of that, thank God it's Thursday, the women empowerment block, you've had all these sitcoms. Modern Family, that's ending. The Goldbergs have their show that's been on for a while, and they have their spinoff school. Blackish been on for a while, they have mixed it. Fresh off the boat. They have The Kids All Right, that was on one year. They tried The Muppet Show. They have a show called Happy Endings that was on for a bit. The Connors, because they tried to revive Roseanne, but now they have a successful spinoff. American Housewives, been on for a bunch of times. Single Parents, been on for two years. Dr. Ken was on for a couple of years. Last Man Standing was their most popular sitcom, not in a modern family, and they moved that to Friday night, so it got canceled. Speechless, that was on for a bunch of years. They moved to Friday night. Splitting Up Together was on for two years. Bless the Mess Single 2, the middle was on for a long time. The O'Neills was a one-year show. Desperate Housewife, that was on for a long time. Downward Dog, Gallivant, all these shows have been on in the last 10, 15 years. Even if they got one year, they keep churning and churning out half-hour sitcom. They really should call ABC the half-hour sitcom king. Because CBS only shows half-hour sitcoms Monday and Thursdays. They don't do it on Tuesdays, and they don't do it on Wednesdays or Friday nights. It's just two nights. NBC, they only show half-hour sitcoms Thursday nights. They don't have room any other wing. So ABC, their format is half-hour sitcoms Tuesday and Wednesday night, and then an hour-long show afterwards because Monday night is American Idol. There's not enough room. Sunday night, not American Idol. I mean, dance to the stars. American Idol is Sunday nights when they do it. So they got that. And Thursday night, as I told you before, thank God it's Thursday. And Grey's Anatomy, which is on for 16 years, they've had For the People and Station 19 and other another show before that all, Private Practice, all these shows have come from that creator. How to Get Away with Murder, it's ending, but it's on, it's in its sixth season in Scandal, which was on for seven years. Scandal, How to Get Away with Grey's Anatomy were the one-hour shows of their network. And that's why they blocked them together on Thursday night. They called them the Female Empowerment Night. Now, how to, a million little things. Join that block when Scandal ends, and it's been on. But it doesn't really fit that block because it's 
comes from the idea this is us because they're copying that idea. And sometimes I prefer the show over it, but that's now in the Thank God It's Thursday block. They've had successful dramas before, like Designated Survivor. That didn't last that long, but it was on for a couple of years. Conviction, Law Show, Fixed Law Show. They had Agent Carter. They had, you know, Take Two. They had Reef Break. They had Quantico. They had Deception. They had Whiskey Cavalier. So as I said, on Thursday nights, it's Thank God It's Thursday Night. And that's the Female Empowerment Night that has had the Grey's Anatomy on for 16 years with For the People, Private Practice, Station 19 spinoff. And they've also had How to Get Away. Murder's ending the spawn six years and Scandal for seven years. Now, Min Little Thing, yeah, it was on, it's on there now, but it didn't really fit the female empowerment block. But that's really their dramas is that Thursday night. A lot of the Tuesday, Wednesday night shows don't last that long. They're either a dual procedural show, cops, detectives, FBI, law enforcement, or something very sci-fi-ish. As I said before, Lost was the last time they renewed a show that has any sci-fi element to it. The Crossing, Flash Forward, Time After Time, The V, Resurrection, these are shows that did not last that long. When it comes to procedural shows, Whiskey Cavalier, Deception, Reef Break, Take Two, The Fix, Conviction, um, Agent Carter, and even Desert Divide got a couple of years, they didn't really last that long. The hope is a show like The Rookie lasts more than two seasons. Stumptown and Emergence get renewed because that would fall under the procedural show and the sci-fi show. And The Good Doctors, Monday Nights, I think they're going to continue to that because they want another medical show to go along with Grey's Anatomy. Now, that's the thing with ABC. They're the half-hour sitcom night because they have so many. That's what they should be called. They're also the station that has The Bachelor, American Idol, and Dance with the Stars, so they're also reality competition shows that nobody wants to see. Dancing with the Stars is their version of, like, The Voice or American Idol, but now that they have American Idol, they got dancing, singing, and dating show. Now, they're also the one that decided in the summer, it's a very good idea in the summer to have game shows and stuff because reruns used to be the summer and some networks are putting stuff on. This is the better time to put reality shows on. But competition shows like Celebrity Family Feud, Tell the Truth, A Thousand Period, Match Game, Pressure Luck, and Card Shark, and Ellen has those games, you know, and then there's Celebrity Game Night. All those things are great to have for them in the summer. So they get it right in the summer, but they should stop trying to come out with these, these one-hour dramas if they're going to cancel them. Like if Conviction and The Fix and Agent Carter and American, you know, these other crime shows that they want in America, Take Two, Reef Break, Quantico, Whiskey Cavalier, Reception. Quantico was on for a good amount of time, but again, they're not keeping these shows on that long unless they're the How to Get Away with Murder. They're a spinoff of Grey's Anatomy, even though For the People, Prior Practice didn't last that long. Station 19, Grey's Anatomy, How to Get Away with Unless you're those or when Scandal was on, you're not really going to last. And if you're not a, if you're not lost, forget it. So I don't know if Emergence will be renewed because they haven't had that before. And the the rookies in season two, hopefully get season three, sometime because shows like Deception, which was a magic and FBI, was Cavalier, was a dual FBI and CIA, Quantico was, you know, FBI, brief break, was criminal and cop and FBI, take two was private investigator type of show. Agent Carter was a comic book show, but it was the starting of, you know, the fighting crime in America for the, you know, Marvel and stuff. Those are shows that haven't lasted that long. And that's the fate. But ABC, at the end of the day, is should be known as the half-hour sitcom station, the female empowerment drama on Thursday nights, because even though they show a drama Tuesday night and Wednesday night, they don't last that long. And The Rookie moved to Sunday night to, to help Sunday nights out. And 
Monday nights, The Good Doctor has been in that time slot for three years after American Idol. I mean, why do I keep doing that? Dancing with the Stars, because they're all the same. I keep screwing them up. That's That show's probably going to stay in that time block. And Friday nights used to be Shark Tank, but it's always going to be, you know, 20 for 20, that special drama series like CBS had 60 Minutes. You know, and so it's been Last Man Standing and Dr. Ken, then Fresh Off the Boat, Speechless, and now American Housewife. But again, what is that common theme? Half-hour sitcoms on Friday nights, Tuesday nights, and Wednesday nights. Thursday is different because of the, the, the drama, and Sunday night is different because it's usually there's not a lot of going on Sunday night. So I can thank ABC for having all these half-hour sitcoms, having some dramas, but the problem is, outside of a million little things, The Rookie and The Good Doctor, not that many hour-long shows that I watch are still on ABC. I get really attached to the sci-fi element shows or the procedural cop shows, and they don't last that long. Yes, sitcoms come and go, but there's plenty of sitcoms on ABC to watch. Bless This Mess and Single Parents are Tuesday and Wednesday night for me. Yes, I don't watch a Modern Family, Goldbergs, Blackish, or those spinoffs, or Fresh Off the Bulge, but I got American Housewife on Friday night. I got a long run out of Speechless and a pretty good run out of Dr. Ken and a good run at Course of Last Man Standing because now it's on Fox. So thanks for listening to On the Radar where we tackle sports and pop culture. My podcast is on Google Podcasts and Spotify and Anchor site as well. Just a heads up, I plan on releasing the 25-man roster of all 30 Major League Baseball teams based on their history and, of course, I'm doing how long somebody played and how good they were. But there's a comes a time. A guy played 12 years and was good and steady, but a guy played five years and he was great. There's a little bit of debate. But also, if you're a Hall of Famer, for example, like... Uh, Dave Winfield and you go to these teams at the end of your career, Andre Dawson doesn't necessarily make you a part of the Hall of the greatest roster of that team now Mike Piazza is a great Mets player but he's he's in competition to be the second greatest Dodger catcher because it has to be your impact just because you're Hall of Famer, just because you played a five years or some of your career there your impact is not all time now if you're a team that, from the 90s like the Rockies or the Florida Marlins you may have to have guys who are retired, who aren't retired to make the roster if you have to and you can't come up with somebody else. That's fine because they haven't been around that long for their history to do that. And that's where it's as tough as it is for the Yankees or like the Phillies or Reds who've been around forever because there's so many people you got to go through. And do you go with all the old Hall of Famers or the new Hall of Famers? And then there are guys where they play for so many teams where you pick where they go and whatnot. And if you want to give somebody the honor of the greatest catcher, let's say, on one team, like the Rangers have Rodriguez. He's not making the Tigers team because the Tigers had Mickey Cochran and Bill Freehand and all these other catchers that would push him out. So, And there's going to be DH for all of them. So look out on my Facebook page on the Raider Entertainment blog or my blogger site, Raider4428, for all the 30 teams that will be coming out soon. And as I said, Google Podcasts and... Spotify, and hopefully Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to On The Radar, episode number. i see you next time. This was the On The Radar show with Radar. For more from him, check out his Facebook page, On The Radar Entertainment Blog. His long-form articles are radar4428.blogspot.com. His YouTube account on the radar. 
follow him on the Twitter at Radar4428 and download his podcasts from Apple Podcast under On The Radar.